The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. <laughs> if you're listening by podcast this morning, this is why you should show up at church, because that was amazing. By the way, I posted, Brandon, uh, I just went back and looked on my Instagram, May 9th, 2015, I was in downtown Burbank and posted a video on my Instagram. of you. It's uh, unbelievable. Thank you guys so much. That was Unbelievable. <laughs> Hey, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to preach a short message today, all right? Um, Isaiah chapter 9. We're in the second week of a series we are calling On His Shoulders. And we are diving into the titles, um, the names that the prophet Isaiah would give to the coming king, the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And so last week we talked about the wonderful Counselor, And I shared a little bit of my journey in counseling and how Jesus is the greater counselor. And today we have the privilege of talking about the mighty God and his power. If you have a Bible, turn it on, turn it to, we'll also have it on the screens this morning. I want to read Isaiah chapter 9. In fact, would you just do this with me this morning? Would everybody stand up and let's read this one verse together. Everybody stand and we will read it together. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's read the second half of verse 6 again. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You guys can be seated. Isaiah says, he will be called Mighty God. Last week we talked about Jesus as the wonderful counselor, the Pele Yoaz, the one who is indescribable with words. The second title that Isaiah attributes to Jesus helps us understand why Jesus can be a wonderful counselor. Jesus, as the mighty God, as all-powerful, has the power to change you. Not only does Jesus have the power to change you, he's got the power to enable you to change. And I think that's um, a, a wonderful thought for us this morning because some of you, like me, have gone through counseling and as wonderful as counselors are that can point us to Jesus, there is not a counselor on earth that can make me change. They just can't do it. They can point me to scripture. They can point me to truth. They can point out my flaws and my inabilities, and they can point out the right direction. But ultimately, a counselor cannot make me change. That's what's different about the mighty God. He's powerful. He has the ability to change your life. And not only that, he has the power to enable you to change. We're not just talking about reformation. We're not just talking about a change of clothes. We're talking this morning about the power of God to transform lives. The leader of uh, the Soviet Union in the 1960s, his name was Nikita Khrushchev. He made an interesting statement about the communism that he promoted. And he said the the great inability, the... the, um, The inability, the chief failure with communism is its inability to create a new man. I think that's interesting. Um, 
because communism had this mantra that there was a new coat for every man. It had this ideology that it espoused and it has this form of thinking, but ultimately what communism has realized is that it has no ability to change man because we are dealing with flawed humanity. The gospel has a different way to describe what's happening. The gospel has a different way to describe reality where communism says a new coat for every man The power of God, the mighty God, through the power of the gospel says a new man for every coat. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of God this morning. So I don't know how you come into a church service this Christmas season. I don't know if some of you are wondering, have been vocalizing, have been sharing with others, have been internalizing this thought. God, where is your power? I don't know what your story is this morning. I don't know how you journey into our fellowship. Maybe you're on a tough road with a relationship and you need the power of God. Maybe your business is not progressing as you thought. Maybe the job is not what you thought it would be. Maybe the doctor has given you some news this morning that is not in your favor. Maybe you've got a dream for something and it has not yet happened. And maybe this morning you're saying, God, where is your power? So what I thought I would do just for a few minutes this morning is walk through the scriptures. We're doing this topically, this series. And I thought I would walk through the scriptures and try to unfold what the scripture says about how the power of God works with humanity. So this is going to be topically. You don't have to thumb through your scriptures. We're going to post it on the screen this morning. But I want to start with this. Jeremiah chapter 32, just to set out what we're talking about, just to, just to unfurl, unfold um, the power of God, what scripture says. It's Jeremiah 32, 17. The prophet says, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. And listen to what he says. And nothing is too hard for you. So let's take a look this morning at what scripture says about how the power of God works with humanity. Some of us this morning need the power of God to work in our life. Here's the first thought, and I'm going to run right to scripture. The power of God works in you. This is, this is the beginning point when we talk about God bringing transformation in our lives, when we talk about our struggles and our trials and our problems and what God may want to do. The first thought is that the power of God works in you. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire, and listen to this, and the power, to, I love it, the power to do what pleases him. The scripture says God is working in who? He's working in you. And then the scripture goes on to say, and he's given you the power to do what? What does Philippians 2 say? He's given you the power to do what? What pleases him. You know, quite honestly, um, uh, this is the challenge about understanding how the power of God primarily works with humanity. Um, The challenge is such that Oftentimes, we want God to solve our problems, but we don't want God to solve us personally. Um, That may be personal to you this morning. You may have a need, and you're crying out to God, and you're saying, God, I need a solution for what I'm walking through. And God is saying, I'm available. We're going to talk about it in just a moment. But the primary thing I want to do is I want to work in you. And I just wonder this morning if maybe if some of our problems 
are, are such that they are the pathway to progress for you personally. Like, like, I understand you need a solution to what you're walking through this morning. And God hears that. He knows your pain. He knows your struggle. And God is saying to you primarily, first of all, I want my power to work in you. I've got an orange tree in my backyard. And um, a lot of you guys came over to my house on Friday night for a Christmas party. And uh, I've got an orange tree in the backyard. Uh, I guess it could be called an orange tree. You could call it a dead tree or an orange tree. Uh, It's one or the other. And so when I moved into the house, when I'm moving to Southern California, I'm like, oh my gosh, we can grow oranges and I love fruit and it's going to be amazing. And so we found the house and it just so happened to have an orange tree in the backyard. I was stoked. I was pumped. And so um, we hired a gardener to come and do our yard stuff. And the first day that he came over, I said, hey, there's this orange tree in the back. Could you come back here and look at it with me? And so we go back and look at the orange tree. And it's obviously not producing fruit. Like it's not full formed. It doesn't have beautiful color. It's not big oranges. I'm like, I want this tree to produce oranges. What can you do? He's like, well, we got to do the soil and then we got to put some nitrogen in. I need to trim some branches. And so literally for two years, we have babied this orange tree and there are no oranges. My next door neighbor, Kevin, (laughs) 20 feet away from my dead orange tree is a fully blooming, fully producing orange tree. And then he's got three or four others in his yard that are fully producing orange trees. And Kevin, if you're listening by podcast, I apologize, but I often pick your oranges because mine are blooming. (laughs) 20 feet away, yet there's an entirely different result. What's the difference? The difference is his trees get sunlight. My tree gets no sunlight. It's behind my house. It's shaded by the corner of my garage, and it doesn't get the minimum of six hours of sunlight needed every day to produce fully blooming, fully beautiful, delicious, and amazing oranges. And you think about the sun and, and the requirement for plants and fruit trees to grow is typically a fruit tree needs at least six hours of sunlight every day to grow. I think of sun in terms of the problems and pains and stresses that are bearing down on us. And for many of us, when those problems and those pains and the sun bears down on us, it typically produces one of two things. It either produces a fully blooming, beautiful tree, or it actually has the ability, if it catches too much sun or not enough sun, it has the ability to kill a tree. And I just think what I'm walking through in counseling with the guy who's working with me, and he's pointed out there oftentimes in your life, Matt, when things are bearing down on you and the sun is pressing in on you and the challenges and the struggles are heavy and what's being produced is not Galatians 5, and 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, but actually what's being produced is something drastically different and it's killing the tree and, and it's killing what could be beautiful in your life. And there's anger that's coming. There's isolation that happens. And there's a cycle that happens in your life. And it's terrible for what God wants to do in you. And I believe in whatever your problem is this morning. And you're asking God, where is your power? When those things are pressing down on you, I believe God would say back to you this morning, I, first of all, want to work in you to give you the power to do what pleases me. 
I think that's so critical this morning because we all want solutions to our problems because ultimately it does something good for us. Yet Jesus is saying the best thing I can do for you is to, is to cultivate and to create a beautiful orchard of your life. And so the power of God wants to work in you. The second thought this morning from scripture about the power of God, not only does it want to work in you, but the power of God, listen to me this morning, wants to work for you. The power of God wants to work for you. Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 29. Isaiah, the same writer who penned Isaiah 9, 6 says, he gives strength to the weary. Anybody weary this morning? He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Youths there gives this idea of the best of the best, the, the most physically fit. Even those people grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. Verse 31 says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Maybe this is where you are this morning. You're tired, you're fried, you're toast, you're worn out. It took everything to get to church this morning and you fought all the way here. And maybe this morning you're saying to God, I'm tired, I need your power, I need your help this morning. Well, there's good news. God gives power and he gives strength to the weary and those who can't see what's ahead. God wants to work in you, but I want to say to you this morning, God's not just working in you, he's working for you. He knows what's going on. He's not unaware. Two years ago, three years ago now, um, we had wrestled through, a lot of you guys know our story, but we had wrestled through what God was doing in our life and the place where we were in Atlanta, Georgia. And, and we came to a, play, a place where we believed that God was asking us and calling us to plant a church in the city of Los Angeles. We wrestled with it for months. And so at, the story progresses about eight months and we finally said, God, we know what you're doing. We know that, that you are asking us to plant a church. We know specifically and believe specifically that you're asking us to plant a church in the city of Los Angeles. And so once we had come to that resolution and settled it in our hearts, and it was a long journey of wrestling with God, saying, God, we, it would be better for us to stay here than to go there. It would be better for us to do this than to do that. God settled it in our hearts, and we said, God, our yes is on the table. Here's what happened. I sat after we had, my wife and I had put our kids to bed one night. I sat on the couch in our living room in a house that we had just bought almost uh, exactly two years before. And the house was our dream house. It, it was an amazing house. I, I invest in real estate. I've owned a lot of houses in my life. I've owned houses that we've been in um, since we've been married. But this was our dream house. And when we walked through the house two years before the day that I was sitting on that couch, um, I remember I had watched this house for months. It was way too expensive. For whatever reason, one night, the price was dropped. I called the realtor that night. I said, I want to be in there in the morning. At 10 a.m., we showed up at the house. We walked through the house. There was a guy on the front porch who was trying to come through to look at the house, too. My realtor locked the door, and, <laughs> and we stood in the kitchen, and we wrote an offer on our dream house. Um, um, I'm not ashamed to tell you, it was, it was six bedrooms, six baths, it had a pool in the backyard, it was 4,300 square feet in an amazing neighborhood in Atlanta, Georgia. It was phenomenal. We paid, I did the math this morning, we paid um, um, $50, $56 a square foot for that house. <laughs> 
So two years before we purchased our dream house, I'm sitting on the couch that night. We've said yes to God, and I pull out my phone. I do this often when I drive through neighborhoods, but this particular night, I said, okay, God, we're going to Los Angeles. We've got to live somewhere. I pulled out my Zillow app, <laughs> and, and I pulled up Burbank. And I kid you not, honest to God this morning, I sat on the couch, and I, and I, and I literally cried. I called a realtor in Burbank the next day, um, and we got hooked up with a guy named Brad Korb. Uh, some of you guys may be real, realtors in the city, but Brad Korb has been amazing for us personally. He literally calls me on the anniversary of our, the purchase of our home every month. He just called me last week, two-year anniversary of purchasing our home in LA. He's amazing. I called him, and he hooked us up with a guy in his agency, and that guy told me when I called him the next day, the average selling price of homes in Burbank at that time was $451 a square foot. I just purchased our dream home two years earlier. $56 a square foot. And here I am, I'm, I'm, I'm on the couch and I'm weeping and I look at my wife and I said, baby, I don't know how we're gonna do this. And so that was in February of 2014. Um, we went public with our home. I mean, we went public with what God was doing in our life, March 26th with our church there in Atlanta. And we put the house up for sale um, in early April, three weeks later, in the midst of a recession, we got an offer on our house, all cash, for 45% more than what we bought the house for two years earlier. In the midst of, 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 of our, 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 our questioning and doubt, God, we need you to work for us. God said, no problem, I, I, uh, I understand. <laughs> And I'm available and ready, and my power is not only capable, I have the ability to do what you need me to do. Um, I, I, just, I had this thought this morning that, that like, like, why would God do that? And may, by the way, I'm not unaware that some of your challenges in this city this, this day, today, is housing. You're like, I need that story, God. You're like, God, I, I, I need your power in that situation. Why would God work his power in that scenario? Here's what I believe, because when God invites you to the table, I've said this to you before, when God invites you to the table, he's always gonna pick up the tab. And so God's power, it's available to work for us. And I have this, this bedrock belief because I've walked through it for many years that if we are pursuing the will of God and allowing God's power to work in us, I believe the power of God will always work for us. And by the way, God's power will work for you oftentimes when his power, you're not allowing it to work in you. That's how good God is to you this morning. The power of God wants to work for you. It may not be the way you pictured it, by the way. It may not be the situation that you drew out on paper and you had in your mind and you said, God, that is my preferred future. God's power is more infinitely wise than you and yours. And God may say to you, that's not where I'm taking you, but I am taking care of you. The power of God wants to work for you. Exodus 14. 14. I preached on this last year. Exodus chapter 14. It's a story of God's people coming out of Egypt and they've been in bondage for years and God looks at them and the power of God was working for them. And God said, I'm going to take you out of your bondage and I'm going to lead you to a place where ultimately um, my story, my gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth. And so in the process of leading them out of Egypt, they're standing in Exodus 14 on the shore of the Red Sea. 
And all of a sudden, in the midst of, 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 of this, of this um, celebration of leaving Egypt, Pharaoh and all of his army comes chasing after the people of God. They have just left Pharaoh. They have just left Egypt. And now Pharaoh is chasing after them. And God says, God says in Exodus chapter 14, I love this, I love this, um, I love that Chris Tomlin wrote a great song from Exodus 14, verse 19 and 20. And this is, what, this is what the power of God did for the people of God. Then the angel of God was going before the host of Israel and he moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, verse 20, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, and there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. You know the story there, right? Like, like e even if you don't go to church, you're probably familiar with the story of God parting a sea and the people of God walking through and getting to the other side and the people chasing after the people of God and God closing the sea and Pharaoh and all of his army, they die. And so God makes provision in this scenario. Listen to what happened. The Egyptians who were chasing after the people of God, this is what they say in verse 25 of Exodus 14. Let us free from Israel, flee from Israel for the Lord is fighting for them. <laughs> The Lord is fighting for them. You know the end of the story. The sea crashes on top of Pharaoh and all of his army. The people of God march towards the promised land that God had laid out way back in Genesis. Now listen to the end of the story in Exodus chapter 14. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Verse 31, when Israel saw the great power... <laughs> When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The safest place for you to be this morning is in the will of God. That is allowing the power of God to work in you. I'll make a promise to you this morning. When the power of God is working in you, the power of God will always work for you this morning. The last thought and then I'm done. The power of God works in you. The power of God works through you. I mean, not for you. The last thought this morning is that the power of God works through you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I've been a pastor now for 16 years and I'm acutely aware that it's becoming increasingly more difficult to convince people that, and, and persuade people that the power of God has an intent to work through you. Like it's not hard to convince you that the power of God wants to solve your problems. The power of God wants you to grow you into a man or woman who loves Jesus and has fruits of the Spirit and grows a beautiful orchard of your life. But it's becoming increasingly more difficult to convince people that the power of God has an intent to work through you. But here's the fact. The fact is that the Bible is still a missionary book. The fact is God is still a missionary God. We are a missionary people. And let me just be personal this morning. This is a missionary church. Andrew, I'm believing that for your congregation, Katie. You're going to be a missionary church in our city where the power of God transforms people's lives. It's, it's a lot easier, though, to see the church and our personal faith as, as just a, um, such that we provide relational fellowship and spiritual nourishment, verbal encouragement to people, 
but the scripture has an intent for our lives and a power to fuel it that we would be a people whom God works through in order for the gospel to advance. Don't, don't, don't skip out. Like, like God, God, I need you in me. I need you for me, but I'm not ready to work through you. I'm, I want to say this morning to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, there is power that's waiting for you. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. The gift of God's power is that through people and through the gospel, that lives would be changed. In seminary, I had to work to help pay some of my bills and I waited tables for two and a half years. And it was two and a half of the best years of my life. Some of you guys have worked tables before. Tyler has a story of working tables and his and I were drastically different. He hated it, I loved it. And so it got to the point where, where the waiting tables part was not just because I needed to make money to pay my bills. Honest to God to you this morning, it's not always been like this in every season of my life. But what happened in, in those two and a half years is that it became a point where I would pull into the parking lot and I would pray before I would get out of my car and I would say, God, use me today. And, and there's not enough time to tell you the stories, the conversations with Landis and Sarah, and Jessica, Rebecca and baby Jesse, Lon. Like, like God, that was a fruitful season in my life where God would say, I'm giving you power to see what I want to do with the rest of your life. 16 years of ministry now. The ministries that I've been engaged in, we've seen over a thousand people that have been baptized. Never once in 16 years of seeing lives changed. Have I ever seen someone who's engaging with the gospel and the power of God working through them to transform people's lives? Never once have I seen those people disappointed that the power of God worked through them. In fact, it was often that I would have a student that would call me or text me and say, hey, I had the opportunity to share the gospel today. Hey, I had an opportunity to lead a friend to Christ today. Sometimes it would work out such that, that a friend would show up at church or we would baptize a friend, and I didn't even know that, what, the, 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 the backstory there. And then somebody would come up to me in tears, and they would say, praise God, this person came to faith in Christ today because they came with me to church. This person was baptized today. He came three weeks ago, got saved, and now he's publicly confessing his life to the church. Never once in 16 years have I ever heard somebody say, I'm disappointed because the power of God worked through me. Have you ever seen the power of God work through you? I don't, I don't mean like you said God bless you in the line at Ralph's. I mean, I mean genuinely, have you seen the power of God work through you where somebody knows Jesus, somebody knows about Jesus because the power of God worked through you? One of the sweetest memories of being in that restaurant was that this single mom, Rebecca, and baby Jesse showed up at church with me one Easter Sunday. I was a single guy, I wasn't interested in Rebecca relationally. And, and, and it was probably awkward for church folk to see me come in with a single mom and her baby wondering, whoa, this guy, well, he's in seminary, what's going on here? 
I'm telling you, one of the sweetest memories of working in a restaurant was seeing the power of God where Rebecca and baby Jesse showed up and sat right beside me and heard the gospel one Easter Sunday. Have you ever seen the power of God work through you? We have two opportunities left corporately as a church before the new year. Next Sunday, Christmas Eve, Eve, What if God wanted to work his power through you and through our church? I can't tell you all the details and I don't even know what's gonna happen, but we had a meeting this week that literally could change the course of our church overnight and propel us into the vision that we believe we came into this city to do. And that is to plant churches all around our city and personally own five neighborhoods in our city. We're not gonna hinder the power of God working through us. We're not gonna hinder the power of God to do what he wants to do through this fellowship and this church and this city. And I have to ask the question this morning, what can God accomplish with you and with us when we allow him to work in us to make us more like him, for us to provide for our needs and through us to do something extraordinary in our city? I wanna pray for us. We're gonna sing an incredible song that speaks to the power of God. I pray this would be a moment of worship. I don't know your story this morning and I don't know what you're asking the power of God for. But it can change you. God can change you through his power. He can enable you through his power to also change. He wants to work for you, in you, and through us. Jesus, you're not just in the reclaim business, the reformation business. You're not just interested in giving us a new coat on the old man. God, you're interested in transforming us yourself. God, you have the power to do so. God, you have the power to transform my neighborhood. God, you have the power to transform a city. Jesus, we are acutely aware that we are strangers and exiles in this city. But God, when I think about it, the gospel transcends all of it. Jesus, would you, by your power, work in us this morning as believers. God, work for us in our problems, in our scenarios, in our situations. God, would you lead us. Jesus, may we just not be comfortable just to have new relationships and provide verbal encouragement, God. Those are great, and those are part of the process, Jesus. But would you allow some people in this room to be fully surrendered where they say, the power of God, I'm asking you, work through me. May that be the story of our church this morning, this new season that we're about to walk in. Jesus, as we sing, I pray that it would honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.